1: not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever absolutely you
0: because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's dot S.com promo code hysteria books, promo code hysteria.
1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan, and
0: I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco.
1: Alyssa, did you know if you cry a lot right before bed, when you wake up your eyes get like mega puffy? And I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the like cold fingers trick in my under eye area to try to depuff. It's not working. I I think it's like the closed door button on an elevator. It's like beauty tips. It'll be like, try using cold fingers. It doesn't doesn't quite doesn't work as a depuffing tool.
0: Do you know if your face is puffy before you go to bed and you decide to shower, that when you wake up you look like you have chaotic curlers in your hair?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, chaotic rollers. It's a today. look. I, it's a look. I, I feel like Sometimes it's good for your external expression to represent what's going on internally so that people leave you alone as you're going throughout the world. So you and I are puffy chaos. We are puffy chaos today, Um, like the world. This week, we're joined by Shannon Watts, Kieran Deal, and Priyanka Arabindi to tackle the following questions. What do we do with our anger in the face of another tragedy? How do we move forward when our elected officials won't? Are we numb to all this? And what moments of levity can we find at times like this? All this and more right now. All right, let's get to the news. Um so this was another episode where we had plans. We were actually pretty on top of it this week. Mm-hmm. And we had some interesting things to talk about. Yeah, there was a, there was a wide variety of stories that Touched on issues that are important to us and to our listeners, and and then on Tuesday we sort of spent the whole day rejiggering the whole show for the worst possible reasons. And um, I'm I'm just going to say this is going to be a hard one to get through for me. Same. So it's it's been a rough a rough run of news I think for for people, um, but a rough run of news for me. I'm not even like personally directly impacted. By these things, right this second. But what is happening is is deeply upsetting. What is happening in this country is is deeply upsetting. I will introduce a bit of levity before we get into the story. A few weeks ago, when the draft Roe opinion was released, and it was clear that not only does uh, do do a majority of the Supreme Court have a contempt for Roe v. Wade, but a majority of the Supreme Court have contempt for women and people with uteruses. somebody commented that when i am furious i sound like i'm hammered and i just wanted to say it's that is the way yes it, that comment has come through that is the way i that that is like the the curse of being from the upper midwest that anybody that is from that part of the country when they're really really mad they sound hammered um i'm just going to put that out there i am i am not currently hammered i'm just very mad and very sad um So this week, uh, on Tuesday, there was a mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. where At least 19 students and one teacher were killed. And over a dozen were injured. Um, As of Wednesday morning, those are the numbers that we have. It might change. These things always change. Mm -hmm. The suspect is an 18-year-old man. And um, we don't have very much more information except these were little kids. The teacher who died was a fourth-grade teacher. And the suspect engaged with law enforcement, which wasn't able to stop him before he got into the school and and do what he did. So Alyssa, um, where are you at today? Well, Aaron, you know,
0: like you said at the top of the show, this is hard. It doesn't impact me directly. Um, But when... Many years ago, when I worked at the White House, one of the things that I did oversee was the administration uh, immediate response to what happened in Newtown. And I have been privy to information that I know is probably true in this case. And it is, um, it's heartbreaking um, to think about what happened in that classroom, you know, um, that a bunch of 10-year-olds, or or I think the oldest kids were 10, um, were just fucking terrorized by this monster. And something I keep seeing on TV is that we're supposed to use the right words, right? And the right word for this is a massacre. And it's just like pretty incredible to see people, mostly our elected officials, ask questions about what happened. And to see so many of them say, See, this is why teachers need to be armed or this is why without understanding that it has been widely reported this morning that the shooter secured two uh, assault style rifles, one on his 18th birthday and one a few days later. And how that doesn't trigger um, something in the system to say, hey, this seems like a fucking problem. I don't know. It's just it's all so hard to comprehend. It's terrible to have to watch these survivors from Parkland uh, have to get on TV and talk today. The parents of the victims in Newtown have to get on TV to talk today, to to explain to people what these parents and families in the community in Uvalde are going through. It's like trauma on top of trauma. And there are literally a handful of United States senators standing in the way of some comprehensive, uh, gun reform, at least background checks at a minimum. Aaron, countries, other countries in the world have such different standards. In China, in Japan, in in Canada. I mean, in order to get a gun, the amount of effort and work and background checks you have to go through, um it's a lot harder than having uh than getting a driver's license here in America. And uh it should be. And I just um You know, I guess that's where I'm
1: at. I'm very, I'm very sad. I'm, I'm, I'm sad. I just, I was thinking about this. I don't really want to, I can't get into like the pain these parents must be going through without really Mm -hmm. breaking down because it's horrible. But I really feel uh, so angry at the sanctimony behind Lawmakers who aren't mm-hmm. doing anything about this, who are actively encouraging a legal backdrop where this is possible, who are accepting money from gun manufacturers, and then out of the other side of their mouths calling themselves pro-life, or saying right. all lives matter. Here's what I want to know: what lives matter? What lives matter? Because We know even even before, you know, all lives matter was a thing these fuckos were saying. We know that that black and brown lives never mattered to them. We know that LGBTQ lives didn't matter to them. We know that the lives of trans kids don't matter to them. We know that the lives of indigenous people don't matter to them. During COVID, we learned that the lives of disabled people didn't matter to them. We know that the lives of the elderly didn't matter to them. We know even that the lives of police don't matter to them. The number one killer of police last year was COVID. Yep. We know that, okay, yep. so cop li- cops don't matter. Okay, interesting. We know that the lives of veterans don't matter because we are not taking care of the mental illness that veterans are suffering from. We know that the lives of mentally ill people don't matter for that matter. We know the lives of prisoners don't matter. We know the lives of, of women don't matter. We know the lives of black mothers don't matter. We know the lives of black children don't matter. We know the lives of migrants don't matter. We know the lives of migrant babies don't matter. We don't. We know the lives of babies that need formula don't matter. What lives matter? We know the lives of men don't matter. The number one demographic of people killed by guns are men, oftentimes by suicide. Right. We know the lives of the unborn don't even matter because— if they did, we would be promoting a world where poison wasn't being introduced into our environment that harmed children in utero. We know that the lives of kids in schools don't matter. Whose life matters? Does, does anybody's life matter? It, that, that is, that's what I'm left with. Like, this is not just like a, a I feel like this country is not just a, a death cult. It is like a power cult. The only thing that matters is power and money and yeah. literally nothing else. Loss of life does not matter. And I, I'm feeling very dark. And I, and I don't have anything upbeat to say. And I'm, I'm really um, having a hard time with who we are. This is not the first time this has happened. This is not the last time this has happened. This is not the first time in the last two weeks that this has happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But this is something that has, has pushed me to a point on top of all the cumulative harm and, and, and pain and confusion and anger about the things that have already—this is the thing that has pushed me to a point where I don't know. I'm feeling very hopeless. And I'm sorry to say that well, into a microphone, but that's how I'm that's how i feeling.
0: Well, one, you're allowed to feel however you want to feel. And it's really hard not to feel hopeless. But I think that you and I really lucked out today because we have an incredible guest here to talk to us about this.
1: Yes. And I'm going to say whenever we talk to Shannon Watts for Mom's Demand, mm-hmm. on the other side of the conversation, I feel energized by my anger instead of, kneecapped Mm -hmm. by it. Right now, I'm feeling kneecapped. So, let's take a break and come back, regather our thoughts, regather our spirits, and move forward in a positive direction. And welcome back. Alyssa, I can think of on a day like today nobody i would want to talk to more um we're really we're we count ourselves as very lucky that we get to speak with this person today um she's a dogged advocate she is an inspirational person she is the founder of Moms Demand Action the largest grassroots gun violence prevention organization in the country shannon watts welcome to hysteria thank you for having me So on Tuesday, um, 19 children and two teachers were killed by an 18-year-old with an assault-style rifle in Uvalde, Texas. According to a public polling survey, 83% of the 105 million American gun owners support expanded background checks. That said, here we are. Late last night, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer started a process that could force the Senate to hold votes on two House-passed bills to expand background checks for gun purchases. Will the Senate actually act
2: this time? Look, I am always hopeful after a national shooting tragedy happens. I I will not give in to cynicism because I really do believe that's what the gun lobby wants. That's what gun extremists want. They want us to feel hopeless. They want us to feel helpless. They want us to accept this as life in America. I will never do that. I am the mother of five kids. And, you know, I have a a 26-year-old daughter who is a a childcare teacher in Bloomington, Indiana, and she has to go to school today and read a book called When Terrible Things Happen. I will never accept that as being the price of the Second Amendment. It is never what our founders intended. It has been perverted by the gun lobby to mean guns for anyone, anywhere, anytime, no questions asked. I know that everyone is waiting for this cathartic moment in the Senate. It's happened in the House, thanks to people like Lucy McBath, who was a Moms Demand Action volunteer and gun violence survivor, who, when she was elected, the first thing she did was to help pass gun safety legislation. But that doesn't mean that we are not making progress in state houses and boardrooms and school boards and corporate boardrooms. Like, this is not just the Senate. I, I... I'm going to put pressure on the Senate. We are going to to try to pass federal legislation. But in the meantime, there is work to be done, life-saving work. What are some of the most
0: common sense gun measures that could be enacted? Can any of this be done through something like an executive order by President Biden?
2: There may be more that he can do. I want to be clear that the Biden-Harris administration has done more than any administration in history on this issue. I was just at the White House A few weeks ago, when President Biden signed a a ghost gun ban, a new rule that will regulate ghost guns the same way that regular firearms are regulated. But right now, our nation is a patchwork of gun safety laws, and we're all only as safe as the closest state with the weakest gun laws. That is why we do need federal action. Now, in the meantime, we have been passing strong laws, frankly, in blue states, and we've watched lawmakers weaken gun laws in red states. And it's created a Petri dish of sorts where we can look at the data and we can see how to stop gun violence. And I know this is intuitive, but let me just tell you that this data shows that guns that, that states with stronger gun laws have less gun violence and gun death, and states with weak gun laws have more gun violence and death. This is intuitive, but if our lawmakers are really committed to making laws based on data, which is what they're supposed to do, then they would follow the data and we would have stronger gun laws. Have you seen
0: any grassroots and community-based approaches to gun violence that you find exceptionally effective, and are they scalable?
2: So we are now the largest grassroots movement in the country. We are larger than the NRA, and we have volunteers all over the country who wake up and do this work every single day, right? It's like drips on a rock. I know we all want wholesale overnight change. Unfortunately, the system's not set up for that. It's set up for incremental change that leads to revolutions. And that is the work our Moms Demand Action and Students Demand Action volunteers do every single day in partnership with other organizations on the ground. And it isn't just legislative fixes, although we do pass good gun laws and stop bad. And it isn't just electoral work although we do get out the vote every single election cycle, and many of our own volunteers either uh, run for office or turn into campaign managers. But it's also things like unlocking funding for community violence intervention programs. I mean, these programs are so incredibly important. Uh, At the state level, we've unlocked hundreds of millions of dollars to fund them. I'm on the board of Advanced Peace, which is uh, an organization d- that does this community violence intervention work, and they're so effective. And then at the federal level, we unlocked about a billion dollars. So these are programs that that desperately need our funding and our support, given the rise in gun violence right now in this country. So Shannon, you know, it's
1: it's kind of hard after a day like yesterday to think of, you know, one battle at a time here. But I'm like you, very worried about this Supreme Court. Uh, and there's specifically a case before the Supreme Court right now that I'm very, very worried about. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what's going on there and what's at stake and what is the plan for activists if the worst happens?
2: Yes. So this is a, a Supreme Court case that was brought by an NRA affiliate based in New York basically saying they want to loosen the permitting system. Right now, New York and seven other states have a pretty tight regulation around permitting. Um, This is just part of the the NRA's attempt to bypass what average American citizens want and go to uh, very conservative courts and get their way in order to sell more guns, ultimately. If this ruling is against us, meaning that it does weaken the permitting system, it will impact about a quarter of all Americans in this country. And you'll suddenly see more guns in more places. In fact, you know, what's interesting is that during the arguments, Alito made it pretty clear that he thinks there should be more guns on subways. And we know that we've had seen two horrific shooting tragedies on the subway in just the last month, including a mass shooting. So it, it, it would be bad, but we are prepared. We are already planning how we will deploy our grassroots to address this issue legislatively. We can tighten training requirements. We can tighten permitting requirements at the state level. We can engage in signage campaigns. You know, what's really interesting is after Texas passed permitless carry, our volunteers were so successful in getting local businesses to put up signs that banned not just open carry, but also permitless carry that an NRA board member says he wished they'd never passed the law because now he can't take his guns anywhere. So there are, Mm. you know, I I always say when you try to stop us from coming in the door, we will come in your window because we are not going to live in a world where our children and our communities are in danger. It's just never going to be acceptable. I will never be numb to people being slaughtered in the places they should feel safest.
0: What do you say to Republican senators like Ted Cruz, who are currently still planning to attend the NRA convention this weekend? Can
2: I say fuck Ted Cruz? Yeah, you actually definitely can. Fuck Ted Cruz. Oh, absolutely. We co-sign. How do you sleep at night? How, How does that man, you know, Ted Cruz is right now out there saying, we just need more security in our schools. Police And an armed school resource officer could not stop this 18-year-old who had semi-automatic rifles and maybe body armor. We're still finding out more details. Same thing in Buffalo. There was an armed guard in that grocery store. Ted Cruz acts like laws don't work. Did you know that after a hot air balloon accident killed 16 people in Texas, do you know what Ted Cruz did? He authored and passed legislation that tightened hot air balloon regulations. So apparently, when it comes to hot air balloons, laws work, but when it comes to guns, which, by the way, he happens to take money from the gun lobby, I don't think there's a hot air balloon lobby, they don't work. And and it is it is such an, a, a moral offense, and it sickens me.
1: Yeah, same, big same. Um, the shooting in Uvalde comes less than two weeks after the shooting in Buffalo, where 10 people were killed at a grocery store. There are 14 other incidents that we categorize as mass shootings in between then and now. You mentioned not giving up hope, not, not giving into cynicism. How, <laughs> Shannon? Like you're, you're out of all the people that I follow on social media, of all, the, all of the activists that I keep up with, you are the most on top of it. And it is some of the bleakest shit. How do you stay hopeful?
2: You know, I don't know what other choice there is. If the other option is doing nothing and sitting on the sidelines while we watch this slaughter of innocent people, I can't do that. I don't know why this is my life's work. I have never been impacted by gun violence. But after the Sandy Hook school shooting, and and frankly, shame on me as a white woman for waiting until I felt like my children weren't safe in their schools to act. But that's what got me off the sidelines, and I think sometimes we see this as such a heavy lift or hopeless, and again, I think that's exactly, you know, that's a, that's a, a feature, not a bug. If we give into that, if we give up, then this will be the outcome over and over again. We can change this. I am watching it happen, again, a decade of experience. I'm watching it happen at the local level every single day. We have a 90% track record of beating back the NRA in state houses every year for the last six years. We've passed background checks in 20 states. We've disarmed domestic abusers in 29 states. We've closed loopholes like the Charleston loophole in 20 states. We've passed red flag laws in 20 states. Over 2 million families in this country have received secure storage notifications because of the work we've done through school boards. That is life-saving work. And it all matters, and it all adds up. And I just would encourage everyone listening to us. First of all, please text the word ACT to 64433, and we will reach out to you right away and tell you how to plug in where you live. But find a piece of this work you're passionate about, whether it's legislative work or electoral work or cultural work. Find what speaks to you and do it. There's a story I tell about activism that I read before I even started Moms Demand Action, And there was a a person who made sandwiches for the unhoused. And people would reach out to them and say all the time, oh, please let me send you a donation to make more sandwiches. How else can I help? And this person said, make your own damn sandwiches. People, make your own damn sandwiches. Get off the sidelines. Use your voices and your vote. If you're one of the 50% of this country who hasn't been impacted by gun violence, God bless you. But it is coming. It is coming to your community. So ACT.
1: Shannon, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I texted ACT only to realize that I had already texted ACT and uh, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I got to <laughs> re-engage in making the sandwiches because I think yesterday and the last couple of weeks have been just a huge wake up call to, to people who are on the sidelines. So Shannon, thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for taking the time to join us today and, and, And thank you for your words. We really appreciate you and the
2: work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much.
1: We have reached the part of the show where there's a bigger group of people having a conversation in depth about something that has piqued our interest this week. We were going to talk about something entirely different, Alyssa. Mm, we were we were going to talk about um, we were going to talk about a topic that we had been hesitant to bring up because we were like, "What a mess!" And what, then, a you mess know, what a mess! What a mess! So, Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Nice to not, not know you. Go on without us. Yeah, you're going to have to carry on whatever mechanisms are causing that circus to run. We'll have to carry on without us commenting on it because we're going to talk about something else. So uh, we've got two amazing women joining us. All of our listeners know and love them. Priyanka Arabindi, host of What A Day, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me
3: back. It's been such a long time, but I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, you're welcome anytime. But now that your schedule is all busy, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Priyanka might be like <laughs> doing like marching quickly between rooms. We record at night. So I can always do this in the morning. <laughs> oh, good. I write that down. Whoever yeah. Has it, uh. <laughs> um, and up next, you know her are in lover. She's a comedian. She's doing some live shows that she's going to tell me and you about after this because I don't have them written down in front of me. Kieran Deal. Hi, Kieran. Hi. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Priyanka. Good group.
4: Good yeah, group.
1: Good, good group. Um, how's performing, live performing been going for you and where are you next?
4: Oh, it's good. It's been really fun. I think people are excited to be back um, just in the world a little bit or sitting with other people and like, yeah, I think it's been really good. I'm going to, they're solidifying it. It'll be Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, Philly, and London. Um, so that'll be like a yeah. We'll see what the the dates look like. I think kind of like late summer, early fall. So cool. I gotta I got a minute chill in here with you. So if anyone has a barbecue that they want to <laughs> invite me to for Memorial Day, anyone, listeners, <laughs> <laughs> anyone. No, wait, same.
3: <laughs> I
1: also do not have plans for Memorial Day. You guys are going to get, you're, you're going to get invited. You're going to get invited places. Um, just putting that's that's the kind of listeners we have. That's exactly right. Yeah. We do have a good group. Um, so Karen, I want to start with you today. Um, because like I said, we were going to talk about Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, and the myriad number of of circusy issues around that whole mess, but we're moving on to a different and uniquely. American tragedy and the way that this is not the first of its kind, won't be the last of its kind, and how we've all sort of lived with this as a low hum in the background for most of our adult lives. So, Karen, you kind of wanted to change the topic to um, just the omnipresence of mass gun violence in this country, and I would just love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what the recent news has been.
4: Yeah, um, I think it's a really, it's a really challenging, obviously, it's a challenging topic for, like, that Stephen Kerr, I'm sure you guys talked about that, his, um, you know, that very, like, impassioned plea that he made when he was going to be talking about basketball and having experienced violence in his own family or losing his dad to that kind of gun violence, Um, Mm -hmm. and the fact that there's such a (laughs) recurrent... Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of talks about, you know, we can't become complacent to this because it's almost like when an entire nation has undergone the like the tragedy of um, a recurrent theme again and again and again, you know, it's almost like a PTSD where there's a numbing effect, you know, over time where it doesn't because it's so consistent and there's uh, I think a helplessness from folks where it's like, okay, well, this has happened during the Obama administration. It's happened during Biden. It's happened during Trump. It's happened, It just it's an omnipresence. And, and Ryan, you have a, you know, you have a daughter now who's going into school. Like I, you know, I have a mom who worked in elementary schools and like did those drills. Did those like there's they have codes and drills and backpacks that they're supposed to hold and like that's a part of the training now. It's a very, it's a very confounding and tra- and tragic problem and it and it you know we all, we all know this but it's like the way you treat your your children and your elderly is who you are um and there's a kind of real something very sad about about a you know kind of like realizing somebody's like this isn't who we are but it's like again and again this is who we are until we change mm-hmm.
1: it Priyanka do you feel numb to stories like this or do they hit you the same every time
3: So I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, just obviously in the past day with, you know, how I process and how, how this story, you know, came about and, and how I reacted. I think, and I'm like, I'm a little ashamed to say it. When I first saw the news alert, it did not hit in the same way as then going on. And I don't suggest anyone spends time on Twitter. I don't think it's a good place to spend time, but like reading, you know, the minute by minute details and about seeing the actual children's faces, things like that. There are things to me that made it a lot more real. But I do, I don't know, my initial reaction sometimes, and I don't know if this is just working in news and having had that experience, having grown up at the time that I did in this country, but it didn't initially at the very first, my very first encounter of the story like strike me in the way that it did as the day progressed and I don't know if that is just the environment that we have fostered with this happening so often that our initial reaction is just to do that for self-preservation so you can kind of like go on through your day or I mean I don't I don't I know there are so many people who react like that I don't want to like say it's an indictment of us I think it's an indictment of our kind of society and and, and what we've kind of become. But no, I I think for me it's definitely a delayed processing and seeing some like real humanizing details and that that sort of make a story more tangible and more real, especially for me in this case
1: children. Mhm. What's the first mass shooting you remember? Like this has been going on our whole lives, like, you know, not our I mean, I was I was born in 1983. So you know, late 90s when they started really hitting headlines. It hasn't been going on my whole life. But Priyanka, you're a bit younger than me. So what's the first time you remember this happening?
3: Yeah, I really don't have so many distinct memories from in grade school or even high school. Actually, I think the first time that I really like remember feeling like hit by a ton of bricks by like the enormity of a situation like that was Sandy Hook. I was in college, my first year of college at that point in time, I remember exactly where I was that day and feeling like, oh my God, what is this world? Um, I, they were definitely happening when I was in school though, but maybe it's just like, you know, feeling like you're a kid and not, and feeling a little more insulated and not having the internet be the same exact way it is now and the pervasiveness that it has now. Um, But I would say Sandy Hook,
1: I think, is the first one that I really distinctly remember. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that you bring up the feeling of, you know, like being isolated, insulated, or you know, safe. Growing, I guess, maybe safe from the news growing up. I don't think kids feel like that now. I don't imagine that they do. Yeah, I mean, I feel like instances like this. Blow that up for for kids. You know, it, it takes it takes that safety away. Alyssa, what was your first the first time you remember a mass shooting like hitting you? Oh, Columbine. Yeah. Columbine.
0: Because Columbine happened in the spring of 99. And so I was already in the I graduated college. I was well into the workforce. And uh, I worked someplace where you weren't allowed to have TVs. You know, like it wasn't common. It was 1999. And so I remember uh, my roommate and I were walking home and we were like, it feels weird. Like, what's going on? And everyone was talking. And then we saw, I think back then it was actually like a late edition newspaper. And we got home just in time for the nightly news. And it was just, you know, it was the first time I ever remember seeing, you know, they had the aerial video. Of kids, you know, fleeing the building, and um, it's uh, you just couldn't you couldn't believe that it was that it was happening. But Columbine is definitely, and I kind I remember it somewhat vividly, like because it was I was old enough to really process it and be like, this can't possibly ever happen again. This is crazy. You know, it, it it's a weird thing between ninety. Eight and two thousand, a lot of like really bad things happened, you know. Like, and that they were all things that I watched on a very small black and white television in an apartment that I shared with three other people. And so I just remember experiencing a lot of this with them. And our apartment was so small; we were sitting on the floor, and we were just like glued to the television. Couldn't believe, you know, what was happening. And back then, it felt like I mean, we didn't have cable or anything, so we were just watching NBC or something, and it. It was like, how could this, I just remember us feeling like, how could this happen? Like, how could it happen? And, um, you know, here we are, the 20, I don't know how many years later, a long time. Um, I'm no longer young and have four roommates. But um, mm. it was unbelievable at the time. It was, and in a true way, not like yesterday when we saw the news and it was terrible but you did believe it was happening. At that time, it was actually this, you really couldn't believe that it was happening. And it was at a high school. And um, the interviews that they had with, I remember just the, the panic and the terror of the people, the students especially, that they were interviewing uh, who had fled the school. And it was just fucking terrible.
1: Yeah. it. I think the first one I remember was that spring. Columbine I think like Columbine was the one that was it was really- like April of 99. Right. And I remember it being yeah, all over the all over the news and part of the way that it was covered was, you know, we we realize now in retrospect was like a real like miscarriage of journalism. Um like the myth making about uh, a Christian student being like made into this martyr. Mm -hmm. which is very, very, like in a very odd way, um, the sort of rise of, I remember being part of, uh, in 99, one of my closest friends was an evangelical Christian, and they had the fun youth group, you know, like Mm -hmm. my (laughs) Catholic church youth group was like, we didn't even have one, because there weren't that many Catholics, and that we were from towns all over the place so we didn't like get together for a youth group the evangelical youth group was like where it was at like they had the cool movie nights and um you know sure every once in a while we had to watch like an anti-abortion movie that was very graphic but then we got to follow it up by watching something fun like the princess bride you know and (laughs) we got to eat popcorn and hang out and I was uh I would sometimes go to events at this evangelical youth group with my friend and I remember the Columbine shooting being like used within the evangelical youth group as this example of like how devoted to Jesus you had to be um because I don't know if you guys remember this but part of the news coverage was that one of the shooting one of the victims um of Columbine was asked before she was shot if she believed in god and she said yes and they shot her but that's not actually what happened the, anyway it's kind of it's an apocryphal story um but it was like used as this weird like christian christian youth group like tool like be like this girl it, I, even at the oh, time god. i was like yeah even at the time i was like this is fucked up i think i think if someone had a gun in my face I would lie about loving Jesus just to like survive and then be like sorry because doesn't he infinitely forgive you? Like that seems like right the move. It's like it's like God's got my back on this one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but forgiveness is like their whole thing. So I can be like, hey, no, ooh, whoops. Sorry. My bad. You know, I don't know. I I just remember I remember Columbine. I remember the the Christian messages that that were like entangled in that. I remember that too. Yeah. It was it's it's really odd. If you if you read more about that story, there's like a kind of in in depth examination of Yeah, I remember reading that at like a very young age and being like, What? This, what? Yeah, it's it's like we talk about exploiting a tragedy. Like that, that tragedy was exploited. Um and then I remember uh we never had shooter drills at my school. Um I grew up in a place where everyone had guns in their house, including us. We still guns in our house. I mean, not um, a gun in my house, but same. Yeah, we still had gun. We had we had a lot of guns in our house. Not like not like toy guns to make my dad feel like a like a bigger man. They were like tool guns that he used to to go hunting with. And then when he would hunt the animals, we would eat them like it was a like subsistence, like a rake, you know, like or a or a, a, sh- a garden shovel or whatever, you know. They were like tools in our house, and we never really. I never really thought twice about having guns. Everyone in my town had guns. We never did an active shooter drill um and now I know that you know they've bulletproof they make bulletproof backpacks for kids. Mm-hmm. They do active shooter drills. They teach teachers how to like barricade classroom doors.
4: yeah
1: um my mom's a high school principal. she's like this you know woman in her early sixties learning evasive maneuvers um It just feels so fucked up to me. I, Karen, did you ever have to do active shooter drills or anything like that?
4: No, no. But, um, but Parkland is very close, um, mm-hmm. to both where I went to high school and where my mom teaches,
1: you know? So it's, a, it's, yeah. Does your mom get worried about her well being and safety? Do you worry about your mom?
4: I think she, so she retired really recently and she said it was, but she, I remember her saying, it's like, I talked to her about this last night and she goes, yo, it's just really stressful. Like, how would it not be so stressful? You didn't, nobody got into teaching, you know, to be like, oh, okay, now, you know, you you didn't get in for the paperwork and you didn't get in for this because like, it's funny what you were saying, Alyssa, about it being like um, like there was a true like you couldn't believe it and you remember mm-hmm. where you were because that it it really strikes me like like nine eleven right yeah Like yeah. that's a thing that hasn't that like like it's a thing that you remember happening and like but nine eleven hasn't happened again and again and I'm you know and it's but this continues to happen and it's happening to our to our own citizens and you know it's like the killers inside the house kind of vibe so. I'm sorry I don't know I don't know how to be more articulate about it cuz I think it's just the repetition of it is what do you continue to say over time yeah. with something that's clearly so um so viscerally and deeply unacceptable no matter wh- who you are where you sit politically like no one's like oh I want to see children die in a classroom that's like pretty basic humanity you know
0: you know growing up I certainly didn't have active shooter drills. But I'm of the age where we actually, in kindergarten and first and second grade, I remember uh, nuclear bomb drills, you know, where you would either get in the doorway or you get under your desk and you put your head down. Mm. And I think about how scared I was at the time, but knowing that something like a nuclear bomb, a, a missile was so far outside of reality. You know what I mean? Like you practiced for it, but you'd go home and your parents are like, are you scared? You know, don't worry. It's probably never going to happen. And if we did, we'd probably know it was going to happen. And and I was so, so scared. And I can't imagine these little kids, these tiny little kindergartners in first and second and third and fourth and fifth graders who were like, okay, so today is bad person drill. And this is how you use your backpack. And, you know, the teacher going to go to the door and, and barricade it with the desk and everything. And I can't imagine because when they turn on the news at night or they look on the internet, they'll know that there's a real chance that it could happen. And so that's why I just, you know, I think about how scared I was. So scared when we would have to do those drills. And, and I I think even then I knew that it was a very remote chance they would ever happen. But these kids, they know they know that it's possible and so it must just be so fucking traumatic for
1: them it's like childhood robbing in a way even for the kids you know the kids that are that that are close to these tragedies it is it it is like a war crime like they are yeah. essentially like they're ex- essentially veterans of a war that they never ever should have had to be close to you know and for other kids they're getting something taken from them the kids who have to have that awareness in their mm-hmm. heads of like what happened like the difference between this mass shooting that happened in an elementary school i can't believe this is a sentence that i have to put together and the last mass shooting that happened in an elementary school is i i have a, a kid now and There are things about being a parent that you're prepared for. Like, okay, she's, you know, six months old. Time to teach her how to eat solids. Okay, time to do this. She should be, you know, there are these developmental milestones. But then there are also these milestones that I hit as a parent where I realize, like, oh, she has to deal with this now. Like, this Mm -hmm. is something that awaits her in the world. And, you know, the other week I was just kind of going about my day. And I realized that I would have to explain 9-11 to her at some point, probably mm-hmm. when she's like in daycare. Um, and I realized I would have to explain all of this shit to her. Yeah, I'll have to explain all of it. To, every kid has to have this explained to them. Some kids have to see it up close, you know, and, and other kids just have to have it explained to them and picture it in their heads, like, you know, like they have to, Imagine it happening to them. And I never had to imagine it happening to me. Right. That's, it. it's so fucked. It's so fucked that we've, we're in a country where we've, we've just decided that this is just the way that we deal with this ongoing problem is teach kids that it might happen to them. And so they need to be prepared. It's so, um. It, it it's, it makes me so angry. And, you know, I, I've never, um, when we've been doing this show, we've, we've been covered, we've covered a lot of stuff and I've never like had to stop recording until today. I've never had to like stop and step away from the microphone until today. And, you know, there have been huge, there've been tragedies all around the world, but this is, yeah, this is the first time I've ever had to, to stop. And, and I don't, I don't know. I, I guess, like as a parent, it just is. It's hitting me really, really hard, um, and it's hitting me different. And I guess I f- I feel the pain of of you know both the kids and 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 now the parents who have to like introduce this into the universe that their children live into is is like now I'm telling you that this could happen to you, and it it just it just makes me so mad. So. You know, I know that all of us have a lot of like anger. Um, I just think that today would be a great day for us to like each of us give out a fuck that guy. We had Shannon Watts on earlier. She said fuck Ted Cruz. Yeah. I just I wonder if like there's any guy that's kind of percolating to the top of your head as like the 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 king of the fuck that guys this week. Uh, Priyanka, you kind of had a little you smiled <laughs> a little and, and nodded. It's really just because there are there's so many. <laughs> Okay, Do, who are your nominees for this week's like, fuck that guy? There's a, this is a big fuck that guy tent. We can fit a lot of guys in the fuck that guy tent this week.
3: Really a bunch. Um, I immediately, when he said that, thought of just, I think like it was Tom, not, not saying that this is Tommy Vitor. No, he's, he's great. He tweeted a thread about all the ways that Greg Abbott um, kind of made it easier for this kind of event to happen and all of the ways that gun laws have been loosened in Texas. Uh, and just reading through that is absolutely like, I don't know the last time I felt my blood boil quite that much. Um, yeah. So this one goes out to Greg Abbott, not Tommy Vitor, who's great. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely Greg Abbott for
1: me. Okay. Karen, who's your top of the fuck that guy list for you?
4: An old classic Mitch McConnell. <laughs> mm.
1: Love
3: it. Bring back the class. I'm just
4: gonna Yeah, I'm just gonna leave it there. Um pretty upset about the lack of action from the Senate.
3: Mhm. Mhm.
1: I feel like Mitch McConnell is to fuck that guy. What? You know that that song that's like shout da 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 shout? You know that song? <laughs> What that song song is called Shout. What that song (laughs) is to wedding dances, Mitch McConnell is to fuck that guy. Because every time someone's like, fuck Mitch McConnell, I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, this one. I know this one. Absolutely. I'm going to do this. And everyone knows the words.
0: The (laughs)
4: classic.
1: You guys, now I'm fucked for the rest of the day. I
0: am fucked for the rest of the day. A little bit louder now. (laughs) A little bit softer now.
1: Yeah, assholes. Yeah, exactly. Fuck Mitch McConnell. Ted Cruz is
4: the Macarena. Right, right. And then Ted Cruz is uh, yeah. the Macarena of weddings. And the Macarena yes. of Fuck That
1: Guys, yeah. Exactly. Because you're like, oh, this fucking guy again. Oh, <laughs> I guess I know how to I know the words to this, but I hate it. Um Alyssa, who's mm-hmm. who's the top of your fuck that guy playlist, if you will?
0: Oh, I gotta go with Priyanka. It is Governor abbott he is one for the for actually this i can like really my specific fuck that guy for him comes down to the fact that i did not know that i think it was last year californians bought more guns than texans and he made a statement that was like texans go out and buy those guns like we can do better um yeah i saw that on twitter yesterday and uh by enough people that i I, i'm pretty sure it was real um but, yeah, way to go, real cheerleader for the cause Greg yeah, why fucking
1: why do you want that's so weird? Why would you want more people to have because
0: he wants more money from the n r a obviously uh, yeah, man, that yeah, fuck that guy indeed. would love to also know what the deal is with that event
3: that's supposed to happen? Is it like tomorrow or
4: yeah, I was curious about that, yeah, it was friday in in Houston i
0: that is
4: no surprise.
0: Allegedly, Ted Cruz still planning to attend. Still planning to attend.
1: Right. The NRA, which we all, like, we know, th- that's like a Russian front organization. We, like, that's well established. Yeah,
0: obviously.
1: It is not like a real, it's like a, it's a, okay, cool. We're just, it's Russian intel. We're not, let's not pretend that. Once Tish James is totally
0: done with them, maybe they'll be completely gone.
1: That would be nice. Um, I want to say, I am going to say fuck that guy to all of the like but what a, this is a category all of the like but what about the children Maude flanders style female republican senators joni ernst of iowa marsha blackburn of tennessee like releasing their thoughts and prayers like farts into an elevator like get, shut the fuck up like the best the best the best thing to do i think if you're a, a pro gun republican in moments like this Unless you have, like, a kink for being just flamed on Twitter, just shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Do not remind me that you exist.
3: I also just don't get how anybody is using the phrase, like, thoughts and prayers at all anymore. Like, it's everyone makes fun of it. How do you think that means anything other than, like, what we've made fun of you for the last decade.
1: Anthony Jeselnik has an entire, po- like, s- comedy special called Thoughts and Prayers. Like, and it is about how— It's baffling to me. And it, it's, like, years old. It's a great—he's a—it is a years-old comedy special that every everyone has seen. To me, it's not even, like, just the
3: elected officials. Like, there are, like, regular people I also see using that phrase. And I'm like, I don't think that, like, you mean anything badly by this. It's just, like, how do you not know that this is, like, the most— like, that phrase means nothing. It actually means, like, right. I don't even know. Like, it's it's crazy to me that people use it.
1: Right. It's the paradox of, like, how are you online enough to tweet but not online enough to know that this isn't the thing to tweet? Right. You know? It's, like, lesson one of Twitter. Like, along with, like, I don't, under any circumstances, gotta hand it to, like, the the… <gasps> Drill, tweet, anyway, recommend shut shutting the fuck up or like you know, getting your soul right and getting right with whatever God you believe in that absolutely would not be in favor of this because like, I guarantee you, look, I'm not I'm not a uh, religious person. I think right now I'm a agnostic with an atheist rising. but I do wish that an afterlife existed. Um, and I wish that within the afterlife, there was a room. And I think I've talked about this before. (laughs) I wish that when you died, there was a room that you went to where there was a camera that live streamed to the internet. And in the room, you were told, and your reaction was streamed live, whether you were going to heaven or hell. And then the door to one of them opened, end of stream. Because I would just love to see when some of these people reach the afterlife, I would love to see them react to the knowledge that they are going to hell. I would, just the look on their face. I'm for it. I'm for it. That imaginary scenario is what is, is what sustains me through days like today uh, when I can't even get through a recording of a podcast without getting upset and emotional. Okay. Um, Priyanka and Kieran, stick around. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we are going to talk about the ways that we are lifting ourselves up and trying to stay sane in some of the most insane moments in the news and in our country Stick around, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
1: Welcome back. We're almost to the end of the show. We are going to talk about Sanity Corner in a time of just pure unsanity. Alyssa, you you seem to have something that's keeping you sane. I would love to hear what that is. Have you guys watched Julia on HBO? No, but it's on my list. No. Oh, you
0: guys. It is a warm hug. It is like it. T- it starts. It's all about Julia Child and how she pitched her her show. Um, and and the creation of the actual TV cooking show, and it is literally just perfect. And I won't even watch the last episode because I don't want it to be over. It is, she is cooking. She's, I mean, it's like we're actually learning things while we're watching, but it is just, it is so fucking charming. BB Newworth and David Hyde Pierce are like reunited. She plays her best friend and David Hyde Pierce plays Julia Child's husband. And it is, uh, it's just, it's really fucking interesting and it's fun. And it's just, it's a warm hug. I mean, watching her, butcher a chicken, it's fine. Like I'm for it. It's, (laughs) it's, 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 and you know, it shows that she was nervous and, but also that she was like, I also love it as a story of a woman who really found her calling in the middle of life. And it does um, kind of latch onto that a little bit. Like I think in the first episode, she gets a hot flash and she goes to the doctor and he's like, yeah, girl, it's menopause. And so anyway, I just love that they don't hide from it. And it's, you know, it's just, it's really, it's, it's upbeat and it feels good.
1: Oh, that sounds great. I That's actually been in my on my list to watch, so I will have to You're gonna dive into that. You're going to love it. I mean, maybe it. that's what I'm going to do for the rest of the morning. Um, I wanted to say, this is like a side story, whatever, but um, so we used to have chickens growing up. Mm-hmm. We raised them from baby chicks, and some of them we would butcher and eat, and some of them we would just like let live forever. They can live to be like 20, by the way, if you just like let them live forever. Yeah. They were egg layers, and we would eat the eggs. And sometimes we, if they started sitting on their eggs, we'd be like, fine, you can have those chicks. And so we had all these, like, (laughs) Franken-chicken, these breeds that, like, didn't exist. And we're like, oh, okay, well, that's who was mating with who. And I remember when my dad used to butcher chickens as a child before I had, like, an awareness of, like, life and death, which, you know, I think around, like, four or five years old, I started being like, oh, I don't like this. But I remember being, like, three and going out with him and, like, singing songs as he was, like, doing the butchering. It, the, anyway. Wow. Uh, yeah. Up- Kids uplifting are weird. as hell. <laughs> Kids are weird. And being on a farm is very, very, very metal. Um, <laughs> very metal. <laughs> it is. I grew up to be a total wimp about that sort of thing. But when I was three, I was like singing songs about the gizzard, et cetera. Um, okay. Priyanka, <laughs> what is your sanity
3: corner this week? Okay. Mine is also of the TV variety, but it's not like, it's one that you can watch without a gourmet meal in front of you. I feel like, like, Food-related shows. I need something delicious, and if I don't have it, can't work for me. But um, I have been revisiting. <laughs> I've been revisiting um, shows like the original, not the remake of *Sex and the City*, and the original *Gossip Girl*. Hot, rich people being bad. I guess in *Sex and the City*, they're not all rich, <laughs> but and they're not all bad. But a little more *Gossip Girl*. But let me just say that is some real escapist stuff. For right now. And, <laughs> and as someone sex in the city, I didn't watch like live week after week as it was airing. Um, so it's fun to revisit. It's not my first time. Yeah, Cause you were it. like five, uh, for me as a child, uh, but gossip girl, like I did watch in high school. So it's very like fun to revisit now. I don't know. I'm getting a lot of enjoyment and like tuning out of, you know, news, Twitter, Instagram, even just like holding your phone and feeling like you're tethered to your phone. Those feel like ones where I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. like I'm going to put this down for a minute and just enjoy, which is kind of nice. When's the last time I've done that? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Putting the phone down is is key. And also, are the fashions in the original Gossip Girl, like, extremely Y2K? Unhinged. It's wild. Amazing. <laughs> what are they wearing? <laughs> was, what are they wearing? <laughs> that was an unhinged era of fashion. Fashing, like, yeah. I remember being in high school and thinking, like, how I'm dressing is, like, pretty classic. And it's like, no. <laughs>
3: No, it was not. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the show, even with Sex and the City, it's like, okay, as they get further into seasons, the show is successful. They have more of a budget. They're being watched. But, like, the beginning is really, like, what the hell is happening
1: here? Like, what is <laughs> yeah. going on? It's a trip. Oh, my God. Just to, um, just to piggyback on that, uh, if you want some, like, Y2K-era fashions, some, like, bad, like— I, 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 I say Y2K air, but I mean like the air, the time immediately like the four years before and after 9 11, I feel like 1997 to like 2005 ish. Mm-hmm. That was like peak crazy Y2K fashion, right? Um, the first seasons of The Real Housewives, the first Orange County seasons, holy oh shit. It is like top to bottom going out tops. It is. Yeah. Uh, statement belts. It is like halter belts. neck with like the string. It is a low slung statement belt.
0: Aaron, oh just calling them going out tops is true. Well, I mean, like that's that exactly is, what they are. We all know the going out tops. <laughs> we're we all we're know back them. in the going out top uh, era. Have you heard that?
4: What is a going out top?
0: It's a top that just is not acceptable. Karen, you were in Karen, is, day. Karen, did you ever shop <laughs> at Bay Bay? Did you ever shop at Baker? But baby? what is
1: it, what is a going out top? What is what is a co- what is a going out top? It is a top that you wear out to the the bar or club. You would, never, would never wear, wear it wear in the light
3: of day ever
1: during the day. No, ever. never. But magazines Never wear it during the light of day.
3: There was an era where like J Crew though was like going it, like and I it's because oh, yeah. of Gossip Girl I feel like it's because of like Blair Waldorf and then it was like mm-hmm. we spent a whole like at least 5 years going out in like peplum tops and like shit you would wear to the office oh shit
1: yes it was so bad it was like i don't want to say slutty but it was like it was like sexual office yeah it was like like, form-fitting there was like a bejeweled like yes a a large bejeweled 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 collar
2: necklace
1: center centerpiece um and that evolved i think into the cold shoulder top Mm -hmm. which still is with us to this (laughs) day but cold shoulder tops can be worn at, at all times of the day and they are always bad um But but the going out top. So this is like
4: clubbing. It's a so you're talking about like clubbing attire and or anything you wear in Miami whenever you want.
3: If it would fly in Miami, it's a going out top. That's why I'm like I think I'm like this is an
4: evergreen thing. This isn't you know or like if you go to any place that has a club,
3: they're back in a big way this year. I feel like that is what I've heard.
1: Yeah, they're back. They're they're like a I think the thing that characterized the going out top was like some form of embellishment, like a lace or some beading or a, like a a weird cut a lot of beading, a lot of like a sequined piece an appliqué, something in the center, something going down the middle, something like a lace up side. It was like something that made it not appropriate to wear to a job interview without like a cardigan or like a blazer over the top. Over the top of it. And you could only wear it to a job interview if you were, like, interviewing to be, like, a cocktail waitress, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was a whole thing, Kieran. You were in college at the time. I'm surprised that you didn't enc- encounter uh, going out tops.
4: I don't know. I'm, I'm like, well, I'm just thinking about, like, going to, like, seeing clubs now, and it's like, yeah, people were wearing, but, and it's also, this is Miami all the time. I don't see it as, like, particular. I don't see it as particular to an era, <laughs> Like it's like women looking like wearing tiny tops to go out and like and like party doesn't doesn't strike me as like that strikes me as a pretty like evergreen situation.
0: Oh. I think the difference is that I stopped doing it. Here's what I think. I think when you say going out clothes no matter okay, when you're talking about going out clothes. The age you are is the memory you have of what you wore then. So there have always been going out clothes. But for me, you say going out clothes. I'm thinking (laughs) lavender eyeshadow, frosted MAC lipstick, black booty pants. Okay. You know what I mean when I say booty pants, the black (laughs) booty pants, and platform Steve Madden's. Okay. Going out. Picture- the human being you know now and how I was stuffing myself into things that did the, not make the, the sense booty pants back in the late is, 90s. the
1: interestingly enough, have now become yoga pants. <laughs> I live very close to a college campus and um, sometimes go, you know, very, very close to college campus. So there's kids in my neighborhood that go to the school. And the girls who go to that university or go to that college, yoga pants, black yoga pants all Always. the time. And I'm like, well, in my— in my day those were those were sold as going out pants they were probably much less comfortable totally but you know good for them they look very very comfortable and stylish but yeah anyway there's we could do a whole show on this when uh, things this, are a little this bit felt better. good this felt this, good this felt good um karen what are you doing to stay sane i just watched a show on hbo max called our
4: flag means death um us oh, naval cool. Pirates. cool. Oh, it's very fun. It, it, it's a David Jenkins. It's Taika Watiti show. Um, one of the actors from Sunnyside is on it, but they're a bunch of pirates and it, they're very it's very funny. You know, it's just very, very funny. And it's a love story. And they're pirates, guys. So fun. Mm.
0: Love that a pirate
1: show. Fun. I, that's been like it keeps coming up. And uh, I think. Josh and I started watching episode one and then I think the baby woke up and we just were like, oh, never mind. We're not watching this. But um, mine is also a, a TV show. This is mine's on Showtime. Um, and we talked about this on the show before and I just wanted to, like, put in an endorsement for it. I love that for you. That Home Shopping mm. Network show with Vanessa Bayer. Okay. So I feel like I have a pretty high bar for, like, comedy on TV. Um just because I watch a lot of comedy. And so something in order for it to be like in the top 10% of comedies that I watch, it has to be pretty good. Um, I Love That For You is so funny. It's got such a great cast. It's such a it's such a tightly written show. Vanessa Bayer is an actual genius. She's so, so funny. She, the way that she's able to deliver some of her lines is I can't picture another actor giving that much with that like, Text. She's able to be so so funny. Molly Shannon is not it. She's hilarious. Talk about going out tops and hilarious <laughs> style. The stylist, and I love that for you, deserves an Emmy because it's so funny. It's a bu- it's a bunch of hosts and a couple executives and people behind the scenes that work at a home shopping network. Vanessa Bayer is uh the newest host with a secret, and uh Molly Shannon is like the veteran. Home Shopping Network host that um, Vanessa Bayer's character Joanna used to look up to as she was growing up. Uh, there's a character named Patricia played by Jennifer Lewis who is like this, um, this like sexy, hard charging boss of the network who is so funny and so so terrifying. Like if, if you've seen Ted Lasso, the, um, the 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 team owner, you know how she's like, yeah. scary. In season one. Yeah, she's great. Jennifer Lewis as Patricia is that, but like at the next level. She's scary in that way, but like a new level of being scary and great. And it's it's so funny. Um, I love it. it. I think there's only, there's five episodes out right now. And um, I'm going to watch one through four again and then watch number I, five. That's, this I'm is so what old. I'm doing
0: this afternoon.
1: It's just – and it also has this like – I don't know if you guys remember Ugly Betty, the America Ferrera yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. Remember how that show just was, like, fizzy and fun and really yes. well done? And it has a sort of—it reminds me of, like, Ugly Betty at its at its best. And, like, I mean that in the best possible way. It's just, like, it's just a lot of fun. So I love that for you on Showtime. I think you can stream it on Hulu right now if you have a Showtime add-on. Um, and that's my sanity corner for this week. Um, and that's all the time we have. Kieran. And Priyanka, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a really hard day. And I have to say that talking to the two of you helped me feel better. I, I really mean that. I feel I feel better now than I did when we started the show. So thank you guys for being here. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die and bearing with me this week. I have been an absolute mess. Uh, thank you to— <laughs> You're perfect! No, you're perfect. Us sometimes. (laughs) Thank you to Shannon Watts um, for all the work that she does and for taking the time out of her day to chat with us and to give us some interesting and important perspective about how to move forward in the face of tragedy. And listeners, thanks to all of you. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show this week. I know it's a hard week. Um, Next week will probably be a hard week also, but we're going to be here and we'll be putting out another episode for you. So more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nara Melkonian, Nia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot.